I'll be honest, and most of this sermon I had um, prepared for last week, um, and if you were here last week, um, there was about five of us, I think. There's a lot of people out of town, lots going on. We had uh, all sorts of issues, and as I walked in last Sunday morning, uh, I was like, all right, I'm the old only elder going to be here. I've got it all together. It's going to go smooth. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to show everyone that, yes, I've got this. Um, yeah, it's humorous, because... Walked in and the computer wouldn't hardly start. It, I had to restart it probably eight or ten times trying to get the program to pull up. Uh, that wasn't working. The sound I couldn't get to work. Uh, so I was like, all right, I, I need, uh, I'm going to need Nick. I hope he gets here. Nick's like, I've got car problems. I need help. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just not going well. Um, and it was just so quick. I was so quick to realize, man, I, I need help. Like, I, I cannot do this. Um, like, I just, this is not fair. I was about to preach on God showing us the foolishness of trying to be sufficient in ourselves. The sermon was about how we, are, we cannot be self-sufficient. And I'm like, okay. I was thinking last Sunday afternoon, it's like, okay, God, that, that, wasn't, um, that wasn't funny. And then, as many of you know, then little did I know the week that we were going to have in our home. And it was just like, okay, God. Okay, and I think on a serious note that we all, to different degrees, wrestle with just a desire to be self-sufficient, a desire to, to not need help. Our, our world shows us that, that it's, it's a sign of weakness if you have to ask for help, because we should be able to do it ourselves. And I think a lot of it comes back to pride, it comes back to just a desire to be enough. And in the text this morning, as we've been walking through Genesis for the last seven months, going on, starting our eighth month, I guess, we've seen this in so many different ways. But this morning specifically, we're going to see God interacting with Jacob with this, with this same kind of attitude, the same mindset of self-sufficiency. And we're going to see that sometimes God comes to those who are trying to be self-sufficient and takes out what they thought they were standing on. And it's not that God is mean. It's not that God is, is just out to get people. But in doing this, he shows his love. He shows his sufficiency. and shows us that we cannot be. So I'm going to read Genesis 32. Um, 22 through 32. Um, verses 22 through 32. It'll be up here on the screen. So this the same night. Remember, sorry, before I start, it's been a couple weeks. So Jacob is kind of, we see he, he's turned, he's getting ready to go back to Canaan. Tanner, two weeks ago, talked about how Jacob's preparing to go back to the land of Canaan. He's now got his wives, he's got 11 kids, he's got all his stuff, he's leaving Laban, and going back to meet his brother Esau. He's going back, who there's all this tension between the brothers. Um, Jacob's preparing to, to face his brother, who we know, found out that is coming with 400 men. He's, he's preparing for this physical altercation, is what he's expecting. But he's wanting to make things right with his brother. Okay, so that's very, very, very short summary. So, verse 22. 
says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, why is, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people, people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. There are a lot, a lot of different directions that, that we could go with this. But just as we think of what we know of Jacob, the, the Jacob that we're seeing here in this passage, what, we, what do we know of him so far, of, of what we've talked about? We've seen him be a liar, a deceiver. We know that he's stolen his, his brother's birthright. We know he's lied to his father and stolen the blessing. Even when Jacob, we, see, we first see Jacob's encounter with God back in um, Genesis 28, we see him put these conditions on God and say, well, I'll, you can be my God if you do this, this, and this. And it's become abundantly clear that Jacob does not yet understand his need. Like Jacob is, has been kind of self-sufficient all along. He hasn't understood just how great his need is. He's, he's shown that he can get what he wants, what he feels like he needs with his own cunning, with his own plans. I mean, he wanted the birthright, and he tricked his brother. He, he wanted the blessing. He, he lied to his father. He wanted a relationship with God, and he put all the conditions on God for this relationship. We, he wanted these, this wife, and he ended up working 14 years for the wife that he wanted. And so Jacob all along has been able to get what he wants. He's been able to get what he, he thinks he needs. But it's not until the passage this morning, it's not until these verses this morning, that we begin to see that Jacob for the first time, beginning to realize that he's been hoping in, he's been putting his hope in, the wrong things. And as we still look at Jacob, being self-sufficient, taking care of what he needed to do, doing what he thought he needed to do, like that same mindset, that same self-sufficient mindset, I think is, is extremely prevalent in 2019. Nearly every part of the world we live in says that we should be self-sufficient. We should not ask for help. We should be enough in ourselves. The Webster's Dictionary defines self-sufficient as, as this. is the ability to maintain oneself without outside aid or being capable of providing for one's own needs or having an extreme confidence in one's own ability or worth. It's like this, this root that no, one, no other help is needed. You don't have to ask for help. You can do it all. And it, I don't think that every desire to be self-sufficient is wrong. I don't think it's wrong to want to turn 18 and move out of your parents' house. I don't think it's wrong to, to want to be able to meet your basic needs. 
But if our worth, if our worth is being derived from how well we're doing those things, then I think we're in a really, really sad, really, really dangerous place. Because we all, I think, it's very difficult to ask for help. It's, it's very difficult for me to ask for help. It's an admission that we can't do it, that we need someone else. And many people, myself included, will go to great lengths to avoid having to admit that we need help. Brenna and I have talked about this a lot recently, that it's extremely humbling to have to ask for help over and over and over again. And I had that planned, I was planning to say that before this week even happened. Like, we've talked about this so much recently that I feel like it's been a lesson of my own pride. I feel like God has shown me over and over and over again that I cannot do it. But my pride fights back every time saying, oh, but I can. But I can keep trying. But I can do it more. I was doing some Google searching this week, um, and I stumbled across an article from Psychology Today. Um, so Andy and Rose, you can hear this. But the, the title of the article is Self-Sufficiency, an Essential Aspect of Well-Being. The author writes, Self-Sufficiency is a quality of feeling secure and content with oneself, a deep-rooted sense of inner completeness and stability. And self-esteem can be fragile unless it is underpinned by self-sufficiency. And, and, and as, I was, as I was reading that, I was thinking, what I hear is that if, you, if we can't be sufficient, if we can't do it ourselves, then we can't have self-esteem. And there's no value because that, there has to be self-sufficiency or else our self-esteem is fragile. And this is not a comment about this, that person writing that at all. But I feel like living under the belief system that we have to be self-sufficient, we have to be able to do it ourselves, that is where we get our worth, our, our value. If, if that is our belief system, then I think we're going to be driven to despair. Because what happens when we're not self-sufficient? What happens when we have to ask for help? What happens when we fail at something? Does that mean we're a failure? Does that mean we have no worth? Does that mean we can't have self-esteem or we can't see ourselves as valuable? Because if we believe that our value and our worth is coming from something that we do ourselves, that we can provide for ourselves, then I think it's directly in contrast to the gospel that we celebrate. Because the message of the Bible all through is not one of self-sufficiency. It's not one of us being able to do it, of us being able to, 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 to do it all ourselves. But it's one of total dependency. And I think it's that whole idea, that, that thing that God is showing Jacob through these verses. Jacob who spent his whole life trying to be self-sufficient, trying to be enough. And God is bringing Jacob to a place of total dependence upon him. It's important to note that Jacob has kind of made a step back towards the right direction. Jacob has, has, has left where he was, and he's, he's going back towards the land of Canaan. That he, there's all sorts of issues. His past is, is full of sin. There's all sorts of 
of problems in his life. But as Tanner talked about two weeks ago, Jacob is returning. Jacob is seeking to make things right. He's, he's making a right step. And it's also important to note that Jacob is doing exactly what God has asked him to do. Look at Genesis 31.3. I've got it on the screen. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob is doing what he was told to do. He's, he's returning to this land. So as we see the setting for this wrestling match, this, this encounter we see in Genesis 32, this is Jacob doing what he's been told to do. He's returned to land. We see that his motivations are, for the most part, appear to be right. He's going to make things right with his brother. But what actually happens here? Like, what, what actually happens in, in these verses? I mean, that we, what we see in verse 24 is that it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Like, just off of this one verse, there's so many questions as to what in the world is going on here. This is one of the passages, as we first talked about getting into Genesis, there's, I mean, there's a handful of them, but there's a, a passage like, oh man, I don't know what to do with that. There's, kind of that. there's lots of questions surrounding what is going on in these verses. One of the first questions is, who is this man? Who is this man that wrestled with Jacob? And why is he wrestling with Jacob? If you're reading this for the first time, it's really, I was reading a survey of people, I don't know how they did the survey, I have no idea, but it was, how, like, who is this person? Who is your first thought on who this person is if you don't know the story? All, you've been reading the story along, and all of a sudden it says, a man wrestled with Jacob in the middle of the night, and he stopped there. I mean, it's easy to think that it's Esau, right? I mean, we know he's coming with 400 men. We know that him and Jacob's relationship is anything but ideal. So it's like, is this... Is this Esau coming to wrestle with him? And then we see that essentially it becomes a stalemate between these two men. Um, and afterwards, Jacob is left clinging to the man after his hip is dislocated, which we'll get to in a minute. But even Jacob says, please tell me your name. Jacob's too, trying to figure out who is this guy? Who, who is this man he's wrestling with? But then in verse 30, it says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I skipped a bunch of verses that were in there, by the way. Um, just should have given you that heads up. So who, so who is the guy he's wrestling with? Who is the man he's wrestling with? We know it's not Esau. I mean, Jacob just says, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. It's not Esau. You don't have to flip there, but I'll make it easy. So go to Hosea. Hosea. Um, it should be one of the easier ones to find. Hosea 12. It, it, it talks a little bit about this. We get some more information. Hosea 12, 3 through 4, says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He strove with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. 
It clearly says he, he was fighting with an angel. He was, he was wrestling with an angel. But what we'll see is that this was an angel that had been sent by God. Because through this experience, through this wrestling match, Jacob is going to experience God. Jacob is going to have an experience with God in this moment, in this night-long wrestling match. But why? Why? It seems like it's a very odd situation. Why is this wrestling match, why is this happening? Because why, why now? Why, why send this angel for this wrestling match when Jacob is doing the right thing? Jacob is... He spent the rest of our experience with Jacob that we've, between 25 and 32, we've seen Jacob be, a, Jacob be a knucklehead in so many different ways. He's done so much wrong, so many lies, so many times of being deceitful. But it's now when Jacob is taking a step in the right direction, when he's taking a, a positive step, that, that this occurs. And we see that while Jacob is ready to take the next step, Jacob is ready to move forward into what God has told him to do, God is still not quite ready yet. God is still working on Jacob, even as he is looking to take the next step. We, over the past like a month or two, I think we've talked about the big, the big word sanctification so many times. This, the, that process where, where God, on his initiative and what he is doing, is making us more and more like Jesus. Molding, shaping us to, to look more and more like Jesus. And, and it's a New Testament word. But I think what we see is that happening right here. It's like God coming to Jacob in the middle of the night and really pressing, really shaping him, really molding him, really ripping some things out of him. And I think it's confusing for me at first to think, but, but, but why? why? Why now? It's easy to think that we get to a place where like, hey God, I'm doing the right thing. You can leave me alone now. Hey, I'm, doing, I'm obeying. I'm doing what you told me to do. Don't push any harder. I'm doing the right thing. It's easy to be at a place that when we believe ourselves to be more or less doing the right thing, that God shouldn't press harder. That God shouldn't make things difficult. But what happens when we feel like we're doing the right thing? What happens when we feel like we're obeying what God wants us to do, yet things are difficult, or suffering comes, or persecution comes? Have you ever felt that way? That you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to, trying to step forward, obey what God has called you to do. And yet it feels like God keeps pushing. It feels like things keep getting harder. And I think the process of sanctification, this lifelong process of God making us more and more like Jesus, it's not an easy process. If you've grown up in the church or been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard the sanctification process referred to as like um, gold being refined. Has anybody heard, heard that example? Heard it tons of times. But like, as a, as a goldsmith is refining gold, what it does, it gets put, put into a furnace and, and the heat is turned up. And so as the, as the gold gets hotter, as the heat is turned up, the impurities begin to rise to the top. 
And so they, they scrape off the impurities. But then the heat is turned up more. And more and more impurities rise to the top. And they scrape off the impurities. Over and over, it's turned up hotter and hotter and hotter. As, as more and more impurities rise to the top. And for, for, for gold to become pure, it gets really hot. And I believe that often sanctification can, can look like this. And that heating up process, that, that, that refining process, that scraping off of impurities can be really hard. It can be really hard. But I think that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit in Jacob. He's making the right choices. He, he did the right thing. He's going back to make things right. But God says, I'm not quite done yet. I've got some more to work out of you. As Brenna and I have ventured kind of forward in marriage, as, as we've had children in our home, like seeking to like do what, what, God, what we believe God has called us to do, there have been so many times, so many times where I felt like God has just like turned up the heat so much. And I've been like, God, I can't handle that. I can't handle that. I, I felt him, 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 whether it's my patience, my pride, my selfishness, my self-control, my struggle with submission, my own lack of faith, like so many different things. I felt God just pushing on and pushing on. It's like, God, I'm, what, what am I doing wrong? But I don't think it's always when we're doing wrong that God is pushing. I think that what we'll see, as we see, is that out of love, out of love, God pushes. Out of love, God sanctifies. Out of love, God leans in, makes us more like Jesus. Rips out some of these things because in those things, we cannot be satisfied. So sometimes in the midst of obeying, as we're seeking to make the right decision, as we're trying our best to obey what God would have us do, sometimes it is in those moments when God is going to refine us. But that shouldn't mean we retreat. It shouldn't mean we stop obeying. It shouldn't mean that we, that we retreat and try to run from all of it because it's too hard. Because the answers are not found in retreat. The answers are not found in running. But what we'll see is that the answers are found in clinging to the only one who is sufficient. The answer is found in clinging to the God, the sovereign God of the universe. The God that said the oceans stop there and they stop. The ocean that says stars go there and they go there. Is that God that God that we can cling to. And this is what we see. Jacob, in an all-night wrestling match, clinging to this angel that God had sent, clinging to him, begging to be blessed. And that was the safest place that he could have been. There's so much more that we could say about this wrestling match. I mean, some people try to say, oh, it wasn't actually a physical wrestling match. It was, it was, that was just a, a kind of an example. But uh, he comes out limping. Like, this is a, a physical wrestling match. But it's also so much more than that. It's also so much more than that. Because people ask, how did Jacob prevail? Like, Jacob would have been about 100 years old when this took place, uh, approximately. Like, how did Jacob prevail in a wrestling match? Look at verse 25. 
It says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. A mere touch. Like some, some translations do say strike. Um, but, but regardless, like just that sentence alone, it's like this angel's, okay, this has gone on long enough. I'm just going to dislocate his hip and, and, and kind of end this. Uh, like this is something that he could have done early on if he wanted to. If this was just a wrestling match, if this was just a physical encounter, he could have done that long before. But then think about Jacob's position here at the end. Look at verse 26. It says, Then he, which is the angel, said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You have Jacob laying there, dislocated hip, clinging to this angel, begging for a blessing from God. Try, try to imagine this scene playing out. This, this scene playing out. You've got Jacob, whose life has been defined by deception. It's been defined by lies. It's been defined by his own efforts. It's been defined by him trying to be self-sufficient. You've got this Jacob, who had been trying so hard his entire life to be enough, to earn enough. This Jacob, lying, clinging to the angel, begging, begging to be blessed by God. Can, can you imagine a more, a more vulnerable position for a man whose whole life had been defined by self-sufficiency, by trying to be enough? Can you imagine a more vulnerable position for a man who's preparing for a physical encounter with his brother who he thinks is going to kill him? Can you imagine a more vulnerable position? Because what we see in this text is God breaking down Jacob's sense of self-sufficiency. He's breaking this down in Jacob. Because his whole life has been defined by this, and it's all crashing down in this moment. And maybe for the first time, at least the first time that we see, Jacob is in a posture, not of self-sufficiency, but of total dependence. I think that we all, I know I do, gravitate back towards self-sufficiency. We all want, I want to be enough. I, I want to not have to ask for help. I want to figure it out. But this belief, this, this mindset, I think is one of the biggest barriers to faith. And some people with this mindset, some people go and reject God altogether and say, I, can, I am enough. I don't need God. They reject Him and they walk through life as if they don't need God. Others, I think, display this same heart of self-sufficiency, wanting to be enough, and they display it through religion. Trying, trying to be enough, trying to do enough good, trying to show God they've made the right decisions. They, 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 turn, they turn the Bible, they turn a relationship with God into just a checklist of things they can accomplish. Consistently asking, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next to make sure God loves me? But both of these attitudes, both of these belief systems 
come from that same heart, place in the heart that says, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be enough. I want to do it myself. And that's what Jacob has been. That is what I fall back into every time. And that's something maybe some of you can relate to as well. But I think that as long as we are trying to be self-sufficient, as long as we are trying to be enough, we are going to miss the fullness and the sufficiency that can only be found in God. Because I think one of the most gracious things that God can do is bring us to a place that we see as sufficiency. We see that he alone is enough. Because this passage is so much more than just God breaking down Jacob's self-sufficiency. This, is, this whole passage is, is showing that God is teaching Jacob to cling to the only one who is sufficient. We're not Jacob. Um, I, I, I can't say that we should expect that we should have a physical wrestling match in the middle of the night. I'm not God, so I'm not going to promise that. Um, but I really do believe that sometimes the most loving, gracious thing that God can do is to tear down our self-sufficiency and show us that he alone is sufficient. And honestly, I feel like this often will f- feel like a wrestling match. The past few months in our lives have been really, really crazy uh, in so many different ways. And I've realized so much over the past couple weeks how not sufficient I am. I mean, just it was a few weeks ago that Brent and I, again, had this conversation about, I hate having to ask for help so much. We've had to do it over and over and over again. And as, as, as many of you know, like this, the past week in our lives has been crazy, to say the least. Um, it's kind of hard to put into words, but multiple times over the past 10 days, we've had to make calls and texts saying, come help soon, come help now, we need help. We've made 911 calls. In the past 10 days, we've made three trips to the ER. On two different occasions, Brent and I have spent a night in the ER with very, very little sleep. In our home, there's been screams of anger. There's been cries of sadness. There's been confusion. There's been tears of loss. And in the midst of all of that, we packed up the belongings of the little baby who lived with us for nine months a little baby we loved, and handed him back to the DCS worker. This week has been full of emotions that are kind of hard to describe. Like there's been, there's been frustration, there's been need, there's been weeping. Like more than any other time in my life, that I can recall, I have felt zero control over the stability of my life. Zero control over the stability of my home. Zero control over the comfort of the little hearts in my home. More than any other time in my life, I have felt insufficient to be able to provide any of that. 
And I don't know what Jacob felt in this wrestling match in Genesis 32. But through the past week, through the sleepless nights, through the long days, through the, the pain, through the confusion, through all of this, it feels like just a small glimpse of what a wrestling match with God looks like. Because I have prayed more in the last 10 days than I think I have my whole life put together. Just a prayer-filled wrestling match that has left us feeling broken, that left us feeling hurt, but one that has been so apparent to me that I've got no one else to cling to that can ultimately satisfy outside of God and God alone. And we right now, like we're tired, we're weary. To stay in the passage, I feel like we're limping. But through the frustration, through the tears, through the pain, through feeling broken down over and over and over again, the, the sense that I, like I've gotten this overwhelming sense that my satisfaction cannot come by things of this world, but the only one who can satisfy is the one who is sufficient. The one who is God and God alone. I don't want to pretend that even being to a place of fully understanding that God, you and you alone can satisfy. You and you alone are good. I don't want to pretend that that makes it super easy and that I understand what God is doing because I have zero answers to this and I'm still desperately asking that God would show what he's doing. But just where I have been in my heart, it's being driven to prayer over and over and over again. These have come out as cries. These have come out as screams. But I've realized how thankful I am. I don't even understand as I'm saying this now. Like how thankful I am to be put in a place where I know that God and God alone is sufficient because it was so clear that I was not, that I am not, that I cannot be. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is Paul. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's like life situations are going to change. Life is hard. There are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be pain. There's going to be tears. There is going to be broken, sad, insert any emotion you want to. But the ever-changing life situations, they're always going to change, always going to be different. But the one constant in that, the one constant in abounding and being brought low, the one constant in, in need and in having everything you need, the one constant is Him who strengthens, Him who meets our needs, is God alone being sufficient. And I think that following Jesus is a, is a, is a degree of, of understanding all of this. 
It's understanding that He will not forsake us. That He is with us when times are great, when times are hard, when we have what we need, when we don't have what we need. But the Christian life is not one of self-sufficiency. It's not one in finding that in ourselves. It is relying on the one who is sufficient. Like think, think back to this passage. It's Jacob realizing, Jacob understanding that he is inadequate on his own, that he is lying there, clinging, begging for a blessing. He's inadequate to get that himself. He's helpless to get that himself. And I think for us, in salvation, we also must come to a place of understanding our great need, of understanding that we are inadequate, understanding that we cannot earn it. I think we can try to deny this for a long time. We can try to keep plugging along, trying to be good, trying to be good enough, trying to be sufficient, trying to do enough good things. We can try. We, we say with our words that, it, oh, I'll, it's grace alone. I, I can't do anything. But our actions, we're trying so hard. We spend days and weeks and months and years trying to be good enough. But in the end, we are all sinners, unable to do good, unable to reconcile ourselves back to God. But our only hope is that God would intervene, that God would do it, that God would come to us. Like, without understanding the mercy and grace of God, life is exhausting, utterly exhausting. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can try so hard to be enough. We can try so hard to be enough to every person. We can try so hard to be enough for a spouse or for a child or for this person or that person, for our boss, for everyone in our lives. We can try so hard to be enough. But we, you, me, we will never be enough. I think once that we realize that we are not enough, the beauty of the cross of Jesus becomes clear. Because he has been, he will be, he is right now enough. Enough. Church, like there is rest, there's security in knowing that we are not sufficient, that we don't have it in us, but that he alone is sufficient that we don't have the ability. We can't make it right. We can't be everything for everyone. There is rest in knowing that to be truly satisfied, fully satisfied, that that is only found in God through Jesus Christ. Through understanding that, that he went to a cross to take our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be added to the family of God forever. That's never changing. 
He is sufficient. There's all sorts of questions around this passage, all sorts of them. Like we kind of skimmed over it this week, but we're gonna we see Jacob comes out of this experience with a brand new name. Um, we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But the, the big question: how how can Jacob, how can man prevail over God? What does that mean? I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think that Jacob prevailed in this situation when he learned to submit. And that's backwards. It's hard to grab, get our minds around that. But I think he prevailed when he learned to submit. Because he had tried far too long to be sufficient. He had tried for, far too long to be enough. But he prevailed when he learned to cling to the only one who was sufficient. When he learned to cling to the only one who ultimately could prevail. To one who could prevail over death, over rulers of this world, over life, over sibling strife, over all of eternity. He prevailed not because of his strength, but to the one, but because of the one he was clinging to. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39, because that same promise of, of prevailing, that same promise is given to us. The same promise is given to us. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what life holds, no matter the challenges, no matter the hardships, no matter the pain, no matter whatever it is. The rest is found in the sufficiency that came in Christ. Like, nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. The sufficiency that came to us in Christ, everything that we need, nothing can separate us from that Jesus died so that we would not have to continually try to be enough. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. 
I have felt that this week. Like I need rest. And I have found that rest is only going to come as we rest in Him, as we rest in His promises. That offer that Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, that is still there today. Let's pray.